again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Privacy is a big deal these days, but there's a difference between privacy and secrets. Privacy is easy. Secrets are hard. You have to work at keeping secrets, especially if they require you to lie. And usually the secret isn't worth the energy expended to keep and maintain when compared to the freedom found in the light. Teaching team member David McNeely brings us this message entitled Exposure, which covers 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 6. Thank you for joining us today. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you again. My name is David McNeely, one of the pastors here on staff. I'm a pastor of young families in the young adults ministry. And uh, this is my favorite week of the year. I mean it. Uh, there's a song that came out years ago. I don't remember exactly when, but I remember how they used it, ESPN did, to talk about the bowl season. And it's, uh, the song says, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And that is certainly true of college football. I would attest to that, yes and amen that. Uh, but every year I look forward to this particular week, and I say, this right here for me is the most wonderful time of the year. And uh, if for no other reason, is because you make an effort to be here. If you come in between that week of Christmas and New Year's, you want to be in church. You're motivated to be there. Now, maybe you want to be here because your mom and dad drug you here, but you want to be here. And, uh, and so it, anyway, it's very easy for a preacher to uh, preach on this particular week, which is why I beg Randy for this week every year. Now, back in 1934, Kodak introduced 35-millimeter film. It would change the photography industry, and it was the standard for many, many years. I don't know exactly when that made that transfer over from the 35 millimeter film to what we now have are digital copies, but if you have just recently gotten into photography, you probably don't know much at all about the old film. But the old film uh, was put inside of a camera. It was actually in this little, tiny little spool that was put into, and it was wound up, and then you'd have to open it up just a little bit, place it inside the back of the camera, take a couple of snaps, and then you'd really get going. And then you couldn't open the back of it again until you got all the way finished with every picture that you were going to take. And then you would have this little, this little uh, handle on the bottom, and you'd spin it around and get all the film back in, and then you would take that film to a developer, and that developer would then take it into a pitch black dark room, and they would develop the film. They would put it into some solution. They would hang it up to dry in there. But it was... A tedious process. There was a couple of things that you needed to make sure you did in order not to ruin the film. Number one, don't expose it to too much heat. Heat would certainly ruin the film. Don't expose it to x-rays. X-rays would also do that. Water, in addition, would also ruin the film. But the one that we, I think most people would be aware of is this. It, the reason you couldn't open that back flap, for those of you who remember those cameras, is because of the light. And if the film was exposed to light, then the film was ruined in the process. I think many of us feel just like that old 35-millimeter film. If we were to be exposed, then we would be ruined. And so we spent much time trying to make sure and ensure that we don't let anyone else know and understand what is really going on inside of us. For example, how's your anger problem? If you were to walk up here on stage and actually have to confess this, to expose yourself 
in that sense to your anger, how would it go? How about your parenting? Do you really want the whole world in on the inside of your home there when you're talking with your kids? And do you really want them to have a bird's eye view of that? How about your marriage? You're willing to let people know when it is that your eyes wander off of your wife and onto another whom it does not belong on? How about at work? With the way that you construct your habits and patterns at work, how are you dealing financially with the expense accounts that you have? If you're an employer, how are you dealing with your employees? If our lives were truly lived in an exposed manner, do you feel like it would ruin you? Or do you feel like it would help you? I heard this statement years ago from my mentor, and I have never forgotten it. Matt Brinkley shared it in the early 90s, mid-90s, when I came to do an internship way back when Perimeter Church was in the warehouse. He made this statement. He said, the most dangerous life is a secret life. The single most dangerous life that we can live is a secret life, meaning that I'm not going to let anyone else in on what's going on in here and in here. And when I do that, when I shut others out on the outside, I am in an extraordinarily dangerous and vulnerable position. The flip side of that would be true as well, though. The most secure life is an exposed life. See, it's the exact opposite of what happens in the world of film. And even though we feel like that, even though we sense that if everybody knew my junk, then it would ruin me. I would never be able to walk out again in public. They would point. They would cast me to the side. They would not want anything to do with me. Even though we feel that that's the case, the scriptures are actually going to teach us that the opposite is true. You remember what happened in the garden? They ate the fruit. When they ate the fruit, their eyes were opened and they were ashamed. They were exposed. They were no more exposed then than they were at any other point. But now they were filled with shame. And so they try to go and run and hide. And God, in his grace, sought them out. It would not let them lean into the darkness and away from the light. God came to them and forced them to come out and walk in the light. And what was waiting them when they were there? A God who made a promise. The seed of the serpent is going to crush, the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the seed of the serpent. God was not saying, get away from me forever. I cannot stand the the sight of you. He was saying, walk in the light and you will receive mercy. Let me say it this way. When we live an exposed life, When we walk in the light, we find the life that God intended for us to have. We do not find condemnation from God. We find that there's a God on the other end that says, it's about time. I'm glad you acknowledged it. I'm glad you came to me. Now let me pour out my grace and mercy upon you. 
The graphic that was made for this particular sermon is one of water. And if you'll notice on the outsides over there is darkness. And in the sea, in the vastness of the sea, we know that the further that we go down, the less light is able to penetrate in. And yes, there is life that is down in here. But let me just ask you, are any of you comfortable going down there all by yourself without any sort of help or protection? What's down there oftentimes is unknown and it is frightening. Where the light comes into the water, there is where is a great place for us to swim, to ski, to enjoy, to live. If we will choose to live exposed lives, I promise you, we will find the life of Jesus that will empower us. If you have your Bibles, open with me to 1 John. 1 John is a letter that is written by the Apostle John. He was perhaps the closest friend of Jesus. He walked with Jesus while he was here on the earth. And, and he got oftentimes some inside information from Jesus. There would be some times in which Jesus would explain some things to disciples. And, and John would be a part of that inner crew. There was even a moment there in which John was just there all by himself. He was the only disciple that was with Jesus. That moment was when Jesus was up on a cross. And Jesus is exposed up on the cross. He's not exposed because of his sin. He's exposed because of the sin that was laid upon him. And John is sitting underneath and he's looking up at the sinless Savior who would die on our behalf. John knows what it's like to have his life exposed in front of others. John was also one that Jesus would point a finger at periodically and say, you? I want to read just 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 5, and we'll go all the way through chapter 2, verse 6. I think this section belongs together. Sometimes John's going to give us the exact words it is that why he is writing this particular letter. If you think of the gospel of John, think of it this way. The gospel of John was written primarily from an evangelistic perspective, which means that it's written primarily to point people towards initially coming to faith in Jesus. I'm convinced that 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, written by the same man, were written not primarily so that folks would come to Jesus, but written primarily for those who are already walking with him, that they might understand what is required, what's necessary, bring comfort to those who are going to be journeymen with Jesus. He's writing primarily to believers. Listen to what he has to say. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him out a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. John starts this section off by telling us that this is the message that we have heard from him. John is not saying this is what I heard from someone's second cousin, sister's neighbor who heard from Jesus that he might have said this. John says, I heard it directly from Jesus' lips. In other words, John's saying, hey, these are not my words. This is not advice that I'm giving to you. It's not just counsel that would come from a a worldly uh, wisdom, nothing wrong with worldly wisdom in the way I'm using it now. It's not that. These are the words that are coming from Jesus. This is the message that we heard. What is that message? That God is light. There is no darkness whatsoever in God. He is using this term here not to say that God is some sort of particle, he's wave. He's he's not saying that God is, is something scientific. He's saying that God is morally and ethically pure and holy. He he is light. He is exposed. Everything he does is laid bare before all. It doesn't mean that we will understand everything equally. It doesn't even mean that we will agree with everything that God does. What it means is that God does everything in the light. There's no secret deals. There's nothing shady about him. There is no darkness whatsoever. God is light. Two things that he says in here primarily in this book. He says, number one, God is light. And the second thing he says is God is love. He says it later on in this book here. God is light and God is love. Now, that may not seem to be all that particularly relevant for a moment, but let that thought sink in. God is light where there is no darkness. Everything is exposed. When we get into his presence, everything that we are and are not, everything that we do and don't do is laid bare before him. Not a comfortable place, but he's love. When we get here to this place in his presence in light, everything is exposed and we cringe and God says, it's okay. That's why I sent my son. I sent him to deal with that which you could not deal with. I sent him to take the punishment that you deserved. I sent him to live the life that you couldn't live so that when you come into my presence, yes, this is the reality, but I'm going to declare that you are pure and holy. And one day, because of his work, because of his life, because of his death, one day, you actually are going to live in the same way that he does. What's your fear in coming to him as you are? And what is your fear really of, of truly being honest before God about where you are? Maybe in your lack of desire simply to just be in his presence. What is your fear in acknowledging that I don't even want to go to church? I don't want to sing the songs that they sing. It's not what I want to do this morning. The heart is not there. It hasn't been there for quite some time. What's your fear in doing that? That he's going to reject you? Folks, the reason that God rejects people is because they come in 
proud and haughty. They come in saying, I don't need you. He stands in opposition against that. But for all who come into his presence and say, oh, God, help, he gives grace. This is the message that we have heard from you. This is the message we proclaim. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. It is easy to say that we have fellowship with God. Yes, I'm his. I'm in his presence. I read his word. I pray. Yeah, I'm all in with God. We can say that. And yet at the same time, if we choose to walk in a manner that's over here in the darkness, away from the light, we all have that tendency. The tendency is, is that we're already leaning in this direction. Okay? That's what comes naturally to us. We know that the light is here. We've heard from others that this is the best place to be, but we tend to get over here because we just don't like being exposed. I can say that I have fellowship with him, but if this is where I spend the bulk of my time, I'm lying. How much time do you spend in the darkness? How much time do you spend trying to hide and conceal that which if other people found out, they would know? We say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness. We lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we do have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I love this juxtapose. We can say that we have fellowship with God, but if we're walking over here, we're lying. It's not true. But if we walk in the light, if we choose to expose ourselves first and foremost to God and appropriately to others, when we do that, it says that we do have fellowship. Fellowship with who? It says fellowship with each other. I love this thought. God is saying, if you want fellowship with me, Walk in the light, and I will give you fellowship with my bride. Let's just say for a moment that you wanted to have a relationship with me. And so you came, you said, hey, David, I would love to get to know you. Let's hang out. And so we go to a restaurant. Maybe it's Longhorn or someone else that has good red meat, which is what God intended for all people to eat. We would go, we would hang out, we would spend some time talking. And let's say we did this over a period of weeks and months and we're really getting to know one another. And then you were to reveal to me, man, I've really, really, really loved our time together. It's been so great. I just want you to know, I hate your wife. How do you think that's going to go over with me? I not only love my wife, I actually like my wife. Okay, that's the reality. I'm not saying that for brownie points. She's not even in the service, so she won't hear this. I tr- trust me, she will not go back and listen to my sermons. I promise you that. <laughs> She's not here. I, I really like my wife. I do not expect you to love my wife the same way that I do. But if you reject my wife, trust me, I will reject you. Now, I'm not trying to equate myself with God. Please don't hear that. I'm not foolish enough or naive enough and not even arrogant enough to believe that I'm on any sort of playing field with him. But I'm saying it, you see the analogy. Can't have one without the other. 
Lots and lots and lots of people would say, oh, man, I, I love Jesus. I love God, everything they're about. I, I, but no, I'm not going to be involved in church. Mm. If you hate the church, you have every reason to question whether or not you are actually related to God. It, uh, it, then it says that it, when we do walk in the light, though, as he's in the light, we do have fellowship with one another. And it says the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us. This is not a reactive measure. In other words, it's not that, okay, I'm going to walk in the light and now I'm going to be worthy of the cleansing blood of Jesus. It's not saying that. It's saying that because we have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, we will want to walk in the light. And it's not just a cleansing from a standpoint of he's declaring that we are cleansed. It's a cleansing from a standpoint that our consciences are even healed in the process. I don't know what it is that you are hanging on to right now. I don't know what particular sin it is that you have committed, maybe against your spouse, maybe against your child, maybe against your employer, maybe against an employee, an aunt, an uncle. I don't know what sin it is right now that is eating at you, but your conscience is killing you, isn't it? And when we walk in the light and we expose that what Jesus does is a work that only he can do, he actually gives our consciences a balm. And there's real healing that takes place. Over here is pain. Over here is healing. I'm telling you, the most dangerous life is a secret life. The most secure life is an exposed life. If we say, verse 8, that we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I, I cannot honestly recall to you ever coming across someone who said they had never, ever sinned. I, maybe that person exists. I have never run across any person, regardless of what they think about religion, whether they're irreligious or religious, regardless of what stripe of religion they adhere to, I've never heard someone say, I have no sin. What I have heard people say over time, those that are familiar enough with the Bible to be dangerous, I have heard them say as they get to a place where they just no longer sin. Oh, my friends. Here's what John is telling us. This is not thus saith David. John is telling us, if you think you've gotten to a place where you no longer sin, you are deceived. And the truth is not in you. Actually, a growing group of people who would look at Romans chapter 7 and they would say that Paul there is writing obviously as an unbeliever, not as a believer, because no believer can write and say things like, that which I hate doing, the sin that I find myself doing over again, I, I just can't stop it. That which I want to do, the righteous things, I find that I can't do it. And they would say that no Christian could say that. And I would say that's exactly what Paul is saying. Paul knows what it's like to be enslaved into sin. You know what it's like to be enslaved into sin. I know what it's like to be enslaved into sin and still love Jesus. The difference is this. We acknowledge it. For someone who says, no, I've, I've reached the point where I just don't sin anymore. Whew, I, I have grave concerns for that person's soul. If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we walk into this particular place before God and appropriately before others, we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. He is not faithful to forgive us because we have confessed. He is faithful to forgive us because of Jesus. Therefore, there's no reason for us not to be able to come into his presence. There's no need for us to fear his condemnation and wrath. The reason we don't have to fear it is because Jesus has already absorbed it. He has already taken it. Because of his faithfulness, we can stand right here. So what are you afraid of? You afraid of being exposed? <laughs> it's a secure place. If we say we have not sinned, we make him out a liar and his word is not in us. Now, real quickly, from chapter 2, these six verses. My little children, I love that he starts out with this affectionate term. This is a pastor speaking to the people, my little children. It's not condescending. He's not calling them immature. He's not saying that they are beneath him. He's saying he sees them as a father sees his children with compassion. My children. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. One of the four, perhaps even five purposes of this writing of the book, when John makes it abundantly clear, he spells it out for us here. He does it in chapter 1 a couple of times in chapter 2. He does it in chapter 5 as well. He says right here, I'm writing so that you will not sin. He's not saying I'm writing so that you will never sin again. He's saying I'm writing to let you know, walk in this manner, walk in a way that is exposed before God, not just after, I'm sorry, not just after you have sinned, but before you actually get there, share Share with God, I'm struggling. Share with others, I'm struggling. Oh, God, I need some help right now. On the way home, after a frustrating day at work, you know that you're on edge because of all the things that have, that have unfurled. That you, before you open that door, you just beg Jesus for help. Mom, when your temperature is rising and that child has asked that same question for the 4,000th time, Oh, Jesus, help me. I'm not saying you don't discipline. I, I'm saying, oh, help, God, before I get there, because what I don't want to do is, in my anger, sin. I'm writing these things to you so that you will not sin. But if you do, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with us, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. It's going to say there's two things that Christ does here. When we do sin, there's two roles that he will play. Number one role he will play is an advocate before the Father. He will stand and he will argue our case before the Father. If any of you try to stand before God and argue the case on my behalf, I will tell you, thank you very much. You're just as useless as me trying to argue on my behalf, though. But Jesus, Jesus stands with authority. Jesus stands with power. When Jesus speaks, God listens. And he is an advocate on our behalf. When we sin, Jesus goes in on our behalf. The second thing that it says is he's our propitiation. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So propitiation meaning he has taken our sins and he has removed them. He has also taken the wrath of God and he has removed it away from us. He has placed it upon himself in this process. Nobody would do that but Jesus. We have an advocate 
and we have one who has received what it is that we rightfully deserve. That's who goes in our, on our behalf when we do sin. So what's preventing you from going to him? He says, the sins of the whole world, there will be some who will come from every tribe and tongue and nation who will come as a result of the work of Jesus. And by this, verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. In some ways, he's restating what he has said earlier in here, but when we keep the commands of God, when it is that we are longing to, do, to, to complete, when we walk in such a manner that it's consistent, we're saying, yes, God, I want to obey you. Falling, stumbling consistently all the time. But getting up and acknowledging when we do this, we know that we have a walk with him. When I don't have a desire to walk in obedience to God, then I have every reason to question whether or not I'm actually related to him. That's what he's saying. He closes it out in verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We see the model that Jesus has set before us, and it's not just that we see the way he lived and now try to pattern our lives after that. We see him before us and we say, oh, Jesus, can I come in with you? Will you carry me? Will you give me your power to do what it is that only you have done? Our obligation as believers is to walk in obedience. If we fail, there is forgiveness that is granted, but our obligation is to walk in obedience. The most dangerous life is a secret life. The most secure life is an exposed life. I want to close with just three points of application for you real quickly. These will not be up on the screen. I wanted you to hear them and digest them. Confess your sins to God and hang on to the forgiveness granted in Jesus. If you do nothing else, do this. Confess your sins to God and hang on for dear life to the forgiveness offered in Jesus. Secondly, be strengthened with Jesus' power given through the Holy Spirit. Meaning believe by faith that Jesus can live his life in you and through you. And the Holy Spirit will bring you the power of Jesus to do that. And then thirdly, prayerfully consider inviting what I call a garbage friend into your life. Close with just two quick illustrations. A little while ago, just a couple weeks ago, um, I had to, to speak virtually every night. And so I began preparing messages for those that I would be uh, teaching, and, and it's a, both a privilege and a responsibility to do so, but um, without my understanding and knowing um, what was, should be the basics of listening to God by the reading of his word and then talking to God through prayer, that whole foundation just got washed away and all became just about regurgitating information to people. And so I basically just quit walking with God without even realizing it. Until on Monday night when my boiling point had finally reached that place and, and one of my kids had done something that was arguing in the house and one of the kids had done something that was uh, clearly wrong. He clearly needed to be disciplined for it. But I, I just lashed out at him and I'm not a yeller. I don't yell a whole lot. Um, rarely will I yell at my kids in anger and frustration. I'll yell at them, get their attention, 
you know, from across the street or whatever, but uh, it's just not the way I'm wired. And, and I, I just screamed in the face of one of my children. And he was frightened to death. And for a moment, I felt really powerful. Judith, in her wisdom, recognized what was happening, and so she suggested that I go run a chore for her at Walmart, which I did. When I came back, Judith was sitting on the couch, and she said, hey, is there anything that you want to talk about? And she was not sitting with a posture and attitude that says, is there anything you want to talk about? Her attitude was, is there anything you want to talk about? And I said, nope. That night, I'm listening to a TV program called The Voice. And that particular night, the guy that ended up winning it all was singing an old hymn, and that hymn was the old rugged cross. And it was powerful. And I'm listening to him sing it, and the more he sings it, the more I'm realizing I am not clinging to the old rugged cross. I am not cherishing the old rugged cross. And that night I had an opportunity just to pray before God and the Holy Spirit jumped all over me like white on rice. It was, it was beautiful because I was wrong, dead wrong. And God invited me to step into his presence. The next morning I gathered the boys and I apologized to them, to the one in particular that I had screamed in his face. I said, buddy, you did nothing to deserve that, and I am so sorry. And I let him know this was because I had just left my relationship with God for a week without even realizing it. I said, guys, I'm so sorry. This is what I look like without Jesus. Years ago, my wife was fighting for her life in Wickenburg, Arizona in 1997. We'd only been married for two years, and this was a very difficult time in our marriage, extraordinarily difficult time. She's fighting for her life in an eating disorder clinic. God had miraculously provided the funds that was necessary for us to get there, and we knew that it was the right thing. And in that environment, I became self-absorbed while she's gone, and, and I'm, I'm, I turned back into a bachelor for the first time. Basically, two and a half years of our marriage, I, I was a man that was married to ministry. This is where my identity was being received from, and, and I just, I did ministry as if I was single, and Judith was a sideshow. I'm not proud of that, but unfortunately, that's the reality. And so I got really self-absorbed in her absence, and during this time, uh, in a moment of weakness, I exposed myself to adult material. And I was, it was just lust city, and I was filled with guilt and shame and condemnation that was pointing at me. And, and I knew in the depths of my soul, the Lord was leading me specifically, not that he would lead others, but he was leading me specifically to confess this sin to Judith. So when I went to visit her out there, while we were alone, I shared with her of uh, my decision. It was my sin. No one forced me into it. It was... Uh, my choice, and her response was this. You're a phony and a fraud, and I don't want to be married anymore. And I was exposed, and at that moment I thought, I am ruined. 
Now, I didn't have the maturity to understand that I was bringing something to her that was causing a tremendous amount of pain and confusion, etc. She didn't invite this. This was me and my sin and reaping the consequences of sin. But to her credit, her integrity, the Holy Spirit did a work in her. And within the hour, she'd come back to me and said, David, I'm sorry. That's not what I want to do. I want us to work through this. And in the Lord's providence, by his grace, we were surrounded by professional counselors and we were able to walk in with trained, professional, Christian, godly men and women and they were able to help us get through that right there. Do you know I can now come to her, not after the fact, although I can, I can now come to her before the fact and say, "Hun, I want you to know that right now I'm struggling. And I wish this wasn't the case, but I, I want my eyes to wander right now. That's what's going on in my heart. And her response is, then let's pray. And the two of us will pray together. I know that for many men in this audience, this is a significant issue in your life. And you feel a tremendous level of pain and shame. And what I want to caution you against right now is walking out of this door and then feeling inspired to share all of this with your wife. It will not go well. There's a whole lot of pain. There's a whole lot of confusion. There's a whole lot to work through. But men, can I provide for you just a speed bump right now to say, would you go talk to a man? Would you walk in the light and say, this is where I'm struggling? Make it your discipleship group. Choose someone in your discipleship group. If you're not in a discipleship group, choose another man that is near to you that you, that you know and respect. If you don't have one of those, then choose your area pastor. Your area pastor, I know, wants to talk to you. And if you don't have an area pastor, which you do, but if you don't have one, then find me. This is dangerous. This is secure. Heavenly Father, thank you for who it is that you are, for what it is that you have done on our behalf. We ask today, Lord Jesus, that you would fill us with wisdom, with strength, with courage um, to be exposed to you and appropriately so to others. So guide us. God, would you bring to us a friend that we could just share with openly and honestly? Lord Jesus, above all, we thank you for the forgiveness that you offer us when we sin. But God, thank you also for the power that you give us beforehand so that we don't have to sin. So lead us there. Lead us to the cross. Help us to cherish your rugged cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.